The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome back to the Data Reaper podcast. I am your host, Ridiculous Hat, and I am joined by Chief Burn Expert, Zacho. Zach, how you doing? How are you doing, Hat? Doing all right. Welcome back. We've got some stuff to talk about this week. Blizzard did things in advance of BlizzCon line uh, that our, our listeners definitely need to hear. But before we get to that, we want to make sure we're aware. Uh, next week's report, despite BlizzCon line, should be normal schedule. Same with the podcast. We'll be talking about the meta, not the announcements. Uh, so we'll be releasing the report next Thursday the 18th, recording next uh, Friday the 19th, and releasing the day after on the 20th. So you will still hear meta info. And we won't have info on the BlizzCon announcements, but we're excited to hear whatever they have to release. But they already announced some really cool stuff. Starting with, well, we kind of talked about this, and it's pretty close to what we predicted, Zach. The core set, the short version here is they are releasing a free rotating classic and basic replacement that you can use in standard every year, totally for free. That's curated cards. It includes returning cards from classic and basic. It includes returning cards from Wild, some cards from Ashes, some cards from Demon Hunter Initiate to make up the Demon Hunter stuff. Uh, and some of the cards that are returning may apparently be rebalanced, so they're not beholden to the previous forms of the cards. They can nudge numbers here and there. Uh, and it's, it's just a really cool thing, and that should be hitting shortly before the next expansion. Yeah, this is a monumental decision, one that Hearthstone needed to... Uh... For a few years, I think this could be as transformative and impactful as the initial, you know, announcement of uh, standard and wild formats and rotation. I think this announcement is just as important for the future of the game and helping it cement it for the next decade. Hat. Uh, okay, Frodan. Uh, yeah, Frodano. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but the the the. The important thing to remember here is that essentially the classic set is rotating uh, and there is a core set that's introduced and is free for everyone. And this is massive because the classic set was a huge barrier of entry for new players who needed to accumulate classic cards and buy classic packs before they even thought about buying expansion packs and getting into, you know, the Hearthstone constructed format. And now you just straight up have all the cards you need from the core set for free and immediately invest in expansion packs. The only cards, the packs that you buy now will be expansion packs. Also, every reward from like tavern brawls and arena and stuff like that is going to be expansion packs. So this drastically lowers the cost of entry into constructed, especially for new players, but I think generally for everyone. And this more than offsets whatever concerns, uh, you know, people raised about the mini sets. And they're, you know, the additional cost uh, that comes with them. So I think this is absolutely fantastic. It was essential. Um, it makes 
all the sense in the world to have this core set because it makes no sense to base the Hearthstone standard constructive format forever on a set that was the first set that the developers ever designed when they knew the least about the game and how it works. So it makes great sense. Also, the fact that there's flexibility here and it's a rotating core set, so year by year they can adjust and change things and chop and like put cards in and take cards out whenever uh, they feel like it's necessary. And it also makes it easier to balance because it's just free cards. So it's just good. Now, we will reserve judgment, though, uh, until we see what the set is, right? Because the concept itself is a fantastic and an important idea. What, we, what I'm curious about is what the cards actually are. What kind of cards are going into the core set and what card, kind of cards go out. And that is very important um, in order to assess uh, how successful can this be regarding, you know, class parity and such such things. But um, I think this is a very, very important step in um, towards the future of Hearthstone. Yeah, it's instead of... They're making the, the set that fits the game as opposed to old classic, where they had to make the game that fits the set. You could never print certain cards because Maligos existed, because Stone Tusk War existed, and they were doing this nickel and dime approach every year with the Hall of Fame, and it was, they were adjusting things here and there, and they were nerfing stuff, but it felt strange for cards that were around for so long to suddenly be different. It still feels weird to see Edwin with a four in the corner, but you can't leave it in the game because it's not healthy. So this, it just... It's the right thing to do, and this feels like a part of the economic announcement made in November that was missing. It feels like that announcement makes a lot more sense if you look at this together, so I'm glad we finally have the whole piece of the puzzle. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge positive change, and um, we're, we're really looking forward to, see, to seeing which cards come back from Wild and which new cards they make, because they're making 29 brand new cards for the core set as well. They're just going to put the cards in here that they believe are best for the game. And I, I really like that. Yeah, because now you know what each class needs, in, at least on a foundational level, right? So you're designing cards with the intention of giving classes uh, a strong basis. Also, the fact that the set is free and can also rotate and change year by year, it makes me believe that this set will actually be useful. It won't be filled with junk. like kidnapper and such cards that just never see play or like the current warsong commander which is just absolute nonsense just a waste of space so i'm looking forward to really seeing that the core set is going to be smaller than the classic set but it's not by about 100 cards but that's not what it's important what's important is the kind of quality that this set has and what kind of foundations it allows uh, it, it gives classes for them to build strategies with the expansion cards, right? Because uh, the core set, I'm not asking for the core set to be super powerful, right? But when you have a free set like this that can rotate year by year, you have more leeway to have powerful cards. Maybe there will be a year where they decide, okay, we want this card to be in this class for a year, and it, it we want this to be a core card, and we want it to fit 
whatever strategies we're planning for with the expansion set. And and they can leave that for a year, and then the next year say, okay, players are a little bit tired of this card maybe, and we ha- we were planning to move uh, this class in a different direction, so we'll take it out. It just gives you so much more flexibility. Um, so yeah, it's just a good decision, and I'm really looking to- forward to seeing what kind of um, core set we're going to have for the next year. But there's another thing that they announced, Hat. There is another thing. So we're looking forward to that. And yeah, it's like you said, I, I'm looking forward to there being useful cards. I was looking back at old cards that I wanted just available. And Ixarist said in AMAs that it's going to be more like role players than build arounds. A card like Lava Shock. It's, it's, it would just be nice to have access to that so Overload doesn't suck all the time. That sort of thing. Uh, and you could have other cards that you just put in your decks that are reasonable, uh, no matter what the deck is trying to do. Or that are good for some decks and some classes, but not others. But yes, there are there is one more announcement that I think none of us saw coming. There is going to be a new mode, and mind you, this is not the new mode they proved they said was coming this expansion cycle. That's still a thing. But this is a different new mode. Classic Hearthstone. Immediately after the Unleash the Unleash the Hounds the three mana nerf, they're gonna put a snapshot of Hearthstone in June 2014 into the client as classic mode with a full ranked ladder and all 240 classic cards as they were back then. Zero mana Soulfire, four mana Leroy, Doomguard, Ice Block, Power Overwhelming, uh, Eaglehorn Bow triggers on both players' secrets, two mana Buzzard. All the goodies from back then are permanently going to be a museum piece that you can play. I mean, this is amazing. Uh, you know, I tweeted a few weeks back about what I wanted Wild to be. Like, why Wild, I think, is not enticing for players who are looking to play, you know, their old decks. But in Wild, you can't actually do that because it's not really there to do that. It's more of a eternal format where, you know, the power level keeps rising and rising. This is the way where you can go back and play the old decks and someone as someone who has played Hearthstone since open beta, this is incredible. Like the ability to jam some Miracle Rogue again have and handlock and all these old decks it also gives newer players or players who, you know, came in a few years uh down the road. They could be playing for five years, but maybe they didn't play Hearthstone back in classic. And they can experience that format again. And also maybe experience this format with data analysis behind it, which makes me even more curious to see what kind of things, like which were the truly powerful decks during Classic? Um, Were there any decks that people just didn't think about? How would the old decks be built when we have data backing the analysis? Like there were probably a lot of decks that were unrefined or had a few cards that were like suboptimal. Maybe we can make them better. Are you saying that Earth and Ring Farseer was not core to Miracle Rogue? Is that what you're telling me? Actually, I think Earth and, Earth and Ring Farseer was a decent card in Miracle Rogue and was essential, especially in the Face Hunter matchup. I don't think that was the problem. But, uh, you know, I looked at deck lists, like people played Cold Light Oracle in Miracle Rogue with one conceal. Like, that was a list that was common. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, no. well, we'll have to see. I'm pretty sure that Cold Light Oracle wasn't good in Miracle Rogue. And I'm glad that we might have the ability 
um, through data to show that. But uh, but yeah, uh, it's 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 an amazing uh, like it's a format that allows you to have you know tap into your nostalgia and play decks that you first love playing. And uh, many of these decks are the decks that first got players into Hearthstone. So I'm looking forward to playing that format. Looking forward to Jam Miracle Rogue. Oh man, back in Miracle Rogue. That deck was so good uh, and so fun to play. But I will say that nostalgia also um, blinds you to the you know problems that they were. And I'm pretty sure that classic format was not a balanced format by any stretch of the imagination. And there were, I think, four classes that were pretty much dead during classic. Priest and Paladin were bad. Shaman was pretty bad and likely bad like there might have been something there but probably it was a very it, it was very rare to see like i played um that format i i, I had like high legend i sat at high legend quite a lot with miracle rogue and i i saw like four classes four or five classes uh i didn't see mage either so it was like just rogue druid warlock warrior and hunter pretty much that's what you saw back then. So if if there was an expansion right now coming out that resulted in the meta of classic, people would look at it as a bad meta. Oh, this is broken, you know. Um I wonder how dominant the uh, face hunter would be um in like platinum level Hearthstone. I wonder how dominant it would be so at peak legend. That's it has everything. It has I don't think so, Hat. Like actually face hunter I think Face Hunter back in Classic, when I played like Top 100 quite a lot, uh, it was mostly Rogue and Druid. Uh, Face Hunter was not actually that common uh, once you finish your Legend Climb. Oh, your Climb to Legend. So I'm not sure if Face Hunter was dominant at higher levels of play. Uh, but again, you know, higher levels of play back then is not the higher levels of play right now. Yeah, I wonder if it should have been. Players were just worse. Players yeah. were just worse. And when you're talking about uh, about Arcane Golem into Leroy as your three and four, like there, it's just so much damage. It's just so. I'm pretty much sure damage. though. I, I'm I'm willing to bet that Miracle Rogue beats Face Hunter. Probably, and Druid is probably one of the better decks. Like Druid, Miracle Rogue, and Face Hunter are probably the top three based yeah. on anecdotal experience. And uh, Warlock was also good, but I think maybe Handlock. Uh, might have been a little bit overrated, I feel. Yeah. Uh, and Zoo is probably was probably misbuilt. Eh. Zoo, Zoo was good. And Control Warrior was probably another deck that was like, it was played, but I'm not sure how good it was actually was. But it was pretty, it was decent. It felt decent. But I'm pretty sure that Miracle Rogue and Druid, Combo Druid, were the best decks. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. I have no idea because back then I was just a pleb hat. I wasn't a data analyst. Yeah. So... None of I'll us knew what know. we were doing back then. Um, and also, yeah. this will be an opportunity for people that recently started playing Hearthstone. I mean, within the past few years, there are a bunch of people that got in Knights of the Frozen Throne and later, and they never got to experience five mana gadget. They never got to experience Blade Flurry going face. Uh, and so there's a lot of experience to be had here. I am viewing this as a really fantastic permanently open tavern brawl. It's something that I will play occasionally. There's some people that are saying they will play it regularly or as their main mode. I strongly question that because this is not going to see any changes ever. It's not going to see balance changes. Uh, who, who knows, Hat? I'm not sure actually that what they're saying that's happening right now is what's going to be permanently available. 
I have a tiny inkling that we might be revisiting Hearthstone's history. Like, what if, like, let's say the 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 spring expansion comes out and classic format is launched, and then when we get to the summer expansion, classic format becomes not becomes Naxxramas. So you get to experience the whole thing over again. I just wonder, Hath, if this is truly classic format forever and ever, or we're about to, you know, experience the Hearthstone timeline all over again. Well, they can do both, right? They can do, like, time-walking events where they can have a rotating timeline ladder. The thing is, classic is a very specific timeline of just the snapshot of the way the game it came out. Once you put that in the game, it's hard to take it away. And so I envision that this particular format, it could be a blueprint for future classic-style formats. But this one of just Hearthstone as it was on release is probably not going away just because the people that want this so badly will be upset if they lose access to it. And I think that you can do a time walk. I don't know. I think if 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 you give people access for four months, I'm pretty sure that after four months, people will get sick of it. I mean, I remember as a player playing classic nax ramas was like a huge like oh just give me some new cards you know people really got tired they don't remember it but people really got tired of classic eventually because you know the meta was kind of the same so we'll, we'll see what happens but uh i think that that would be really cool if we get to revisit hearthstone's history all over again and have data I'm backing it up as well i'm yeah, I would like to see data on some of the older expansions. If we get to Black Rock Mountain, we get to figure out if Patron was really that good. Yep, I'm looking forward to that. Let's let's get to Black Rock Mountain already, okay, Blizzard? Let's go to TGT, Black Rock Mountain, see what that deck was about. Let's see if Battle Rage was core and Grim Patron Warrior. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that'll be a fun conversation for everybody, but... That's enough of Classic. We're really excited for Core. We don't know the cards yet. Well, we know one of the cards. We know Shadowform is coming back. They had to disclose that because of a specific collection-related exception. It's the only Hall of Fame card that's coming back to Standard. Um, But we've got a meta now that has not really stabilized that we can tell. There's a lot going on, and there continue to be new developments in the Dark Moon Races meta, even though it's been out for... Gosh, I don't even remember when it was released now, but it feels like it's been like a month. There's still stuff going on. No, it's been like two weeks, Hat. I don't know. I don't know when this came out. When did this come out? No, not two weeks. I'm sorry. January 21st. Uh, it's been almost a month. Three weeks. Three weeks. I stand by it. It's been three month. weeks, Hat. All right. There's a lot less stability now than there was when Darkmoon Fair came out, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, lots of things are happening. Uh, let's get to it. Let's start with the class that's always good. Rogue. Yep. So here's the thing about Rogue. Rogue is really good for two reasons. One, uh, will kick Rogue, one of the best decks in the game. Uh, nothing changed about that. What is changing, though, is uh, players started to run Nitro Boost Poison over Brain Freeze. And that's a good move, because Nitro Boost Poison is a really good card. Uh, gives uh, will kick Rogue more damage. Uh, gives it reach alongside Eviscerate. It's a really good combo, and, you know, they have a value game. We know about the ability for that deck to generate near-infinite value with its cards. But when it comes to lethality, 
that's where Nitro Boost Poison comes in and allows Rogue to just kill the opponent eventually. Um, it helps its finishing ability. And it's also a good board control tool, right? It's just a deadly poison with a bonus. You don't have to convince me that Nitro Boost Poison is a good card. I believe okay, you. Okay, it's, it's just a... It's a good card. You should play it, and uh, World Kick Rogue, World Kick Rogue is a good deck. But Agro Rogue, Agro Rogue, not impressing statistically. However, there is one new variant uh, that changes about ten cards. It's a significant change. Um, I think that build was popularized by Norwis. Uh, Meaty then hit number one legend with it, and that's why that build propagated. And this build is, is very different. It cuts all the mid game. The Steel Dancer, the Krastanov, the Jandis, the Dread Corsairs. Uh, it even cuts Backstab because it's not damage. And it goes super hyper-aggressive hyper uh, with Penflingers and Preparation uh, uh, with Swindle. So you have more card draw. You lower the curve, you add card draw, you add damage, Sinister Strikes. And this build plays out very differently from the you know, the Dancer build with the mid-game. The Dancer build is very linear. It's very predictable. But once you cut all that mid-game and you add more damage, more source of card draw and Penflingers, which I think are the linear breaking cards, like they just break the whole um, the, the whole structure of the deck, like the rigid structure of the deck and make they add a lot more decision-making throughout the game because of, obviously, the ability to squeeze more damage out of your cards and, and calculate mana and calculate your ability to lethal an opponent becomes a lot more complicated with Penflingers. So I even played this deck on my uh, America server climb. And this deck feels very, very differently. I thought I always thought that the Dancer build was one of the most boring decks in Hearthstone, and I even voiced that on Twitter. <laughs> uh, controversially so. Yeah, but... you sure did. Yes, but the Penflinger build is very different, and it just has far more outplay potential. It's also just more powerful. It's straight up, we, we can see it, it's far more powerful. And it's a it's a build that could potentially bring aggro into a level where people predicted it to be, right? Before the mini sets launch, just with the introduction of Nitro Boost Poison, everybody said, oh, Agro Rogue is going to be nuts. And it wasn't nuts, really, until this build came to be. And I highly recommend that this build is nutty. Again, it's it's a more complicated build. You need to be able to uh, really weave in Penflingers efficiently in order to be able to squeeze that damage, that extra bit of damage that can be the difference between winning and losing games because this is a this is a damage oriented aggro deck and damage oriented aggro decks are far more complex to play than those that just you know play things one two three four five um like if you don't look if you don't uh plan ahead multiple turns and uh, calculate damage and calculate the opponent's life total and your ability to finish them off within a couple of turns. If you can't do that, you're going to miss a lot of lethals that you'd otherwise not miss if you actually plan your, your, your game accordingly. And the ability to um, manage your card draw, you have a lot of sources of card draw. You have Sage, 
you have swindle, you have uh, secret passage. So you have to be able to manage these resources effectively in order to, again, be the most efficient aggro deck you can be because it's a damage-based build. And it's very easy to miss damage by playing like not as optimally as you can. So it's a very interesting deck to play. That build is actually really cool. Uh, it also doesn't play backstab, which I always thought was cool to have a rogue deck that doesn't actually play backstab. And it shouldn't because it doesn't need it. Like, like if you play backstab in this deck, it's a card you always want to throw in the mulligan because you don't want it. You don't. You're not about controlling the opponent's board. You're about directing things to face. You you need that spy mistress delinquent opening into either a sage or a self sharpening sword. Now this build still runs self sharpening sword, even though it doesn't run steel dancer because um, because of how ridiculous that weapon is with deadly poison and nitro boost poison. Uh, it's just too much damage. It's only really punished by ooze. Most decks in the meta should not run ooze at least not at the moment or this before for like highlander decks or this before right? we, we know we know about that still people will still run ooze just because of the reaction to self-sharpening sword right because we know about the psychological bias of tech cards they're played when they're good and they're st stuck in hand that they're forgotten when they're not good so that that's a thing but it's still probably worth it it's not like scimitar is particularly great and also scimitar kind of conflicts with deadly poison and nitro boost poison because usually when you equip those scimitar you want to attack immediately so it gets a little bit awkward um so this build looks uh very good very very powerful highly recommended if it's, it's going to be one of the most efficient ladder climbers uh in the game right now and it has served me well in the inferior america's server I know your I know your judgments of NA, uh, but yeah, self sharpening sword is just a vehicle to hold poisons, and it just has a big butt to hold poisons for longer. Uh, and this is the kind of deck that we were looking into running in Skolomance with Voracious Reader. But you look at the card draw composition: Cutting Class, Greyheart Sage, Swindle, Secret Passage. We do not have any problem drawing cards. We are very very good at drawing cards. I very often I very often go through my whole deck. Yeah. I can go through my whole deck and reach fatigue before winning. I've done that multiple times against like priests. It very often happens. You, the, the deck is absolutely relentless in its damage. And by the way, I was kidding about the server talk. Okay, I'm not actually, I don't actually mean what I said. I was just joking. So if you're playing on the America server, don't get offended. <laughs> I'm just joking. But um, yeah, it's, it's, you're, you have essentially you're almost a combo deck that starts the combo from turn one and just calculates damage instead of like trying to survive and waiting until a certain turn like an otk deck to do its combo right you're essentially starting your combo from turn one and you're all about calculating damage and Panflinger, i think is the card that really glues it all together because while one damage for one is inefficient the the fact that your curve is so low means that like turn five, turn six, you're basically that this deck doesn't spend a lot of mana on its cards. So having Flinger increases your reach and overall damage potential to the point where it's really, really hard to outlast you. And even warriors uh can be caught off guard by how much damage this deck can bring. I think 
based on our estimates, the matchup against like slow warrior decks to just let you draw your whole deck is actually quite close. The only warrior deck that is a is still a counter to this build, though not as strong as it, as the self sharpening sword, is uh, the enrage warrior, right? Because you're you can proactively pressure the rogue, take over the board, and and start punching the rogue in the face, and that. You know, puts a, some sort of clock on the rogue, and they can't just comfortably draw their whole deck. But the point is, the philosophy behind this is that we're not looking to put stats on the board with Steel Dancer because there are a lot of decks in the meta right now that have really good removal tools. So if you spend four mana, even on like a, a, a significant amount of stats, it's still going to get removed. And that card, that Steel Dancer card, is not going to contribute towards putting damage to the opponent's face at the end of the day. The Penflinger is going to deal more damage in a removal-based meta. So if you're facing priests, slow war warriors, you're facing uh, you know, the, dam the spell damage mage, uh, we'll, which we'll talk about, which is really good at just taking over the board. Uh, Druid, um, like Dribbling Druid, is going to beat you on the board every time, so you need to be able to race. This build it does that far better than the dancer build uh that you know was initially the the popular one i uh, it seems when every meta stabilizes rogue gets better by taking out steel dancer and i am starting to believe that maybe a clunky mid-range threat is not what rogue wants no it, it, it's it's a trap it's it's yeah. proven to be a trap i mean even jandis is not good enough in this deck because you want your curve to be super low you want to spend as little mana as possible so you can milk the flinger damage and make sure that your secret passage are ultra efficient uh, so you can essentially almost play the everything that you draw off of passage. And it just makes the deck lightning fast. Fast enough for even like a board deck that takes over the board and pressure you to not be able to race you as effectively. And again, if if you're playing against a defensive deck, that doesn't pressure you back, um, you can just draw your whole deck. Just kill them. Even if they have life gain. I like the sound of that. I like drawing my whole deck and killing them. Uh, and in addition to aggro rogue and world kick rogue, you have a secret build in the report with, uh, with spark joy and bamboozle over questings. Uh, it's, yeah. It seems like an we, option. We showed this build in the last report. People are just not running it because they're stuck on questing adventure because... Um, they associate this deck as a questing adventure deck. Uh, but questing adventure is this deck Steel Dancer. It's not actually good to run questing adventures uh, anymore. And uh, Spark Joy Cheat is very good with Bamboozle. Very good with Ambush. Um, and the deck, the addition of Nitro Boost Poison also makes it... There's more of an incentive to just play for tempo. Because you actually have quite a bit of reach with both Nitro Boost Poison and Eviscerate in that deck. So that build, that secret rogue deck, if everyone played that build with the Spark Joy Cheat and no questing adventure, Secret Rogue would likely be tier two. But since most players are running the questing adventure builds of pre set, uh, then this deck statistically looks worse than what it should be. So if you ask me what is Secret Rogue ceiling, I would say comfortably tier two. But 
because of what people play on ladder actually play the majority of players don't run that variant they run the older variant that looks more of a tier two tier three ish deck people are trying stuff still but i like the look of this aggro rogue that's where i'm gonna go after this show yeah it's 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 fun it's again it's it's a huge difference like i was super bored of the dancer build i had no interest in playing it but this deck with Penflingers, I don't know how. There's something about Penflingers. What a great card. It's you just like calling your opponents a loser. So I'm guessing you have this built on NA server. Yep. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Paladin. Talk about, well, the best deck in the game. Fish and cheese. Uh, Yeah, it, it's the best deck in the game, comfortably so outside of Legend. Uh, It's absurdly busted outside of Legend. At Legend, it's one of the best decks. Um, and people, you know, they'll continue to underestimate this deck because of the manner in which it wins. But the fact of the matter is it wins a lot. It wins a lot at high levels of play. It wins a lot at top Legend. It wins a lot in tournaments. It's one of the best uh, performing decks in the tournament scene right now, Hat. With all the hype about, you know, you know, we know what they're hyped about. Cheese Paladin is outperforming uh, by a significant margin. It's up there with... Uh, the very best warrior and priest decks. Priest is nuts in tournaments, so cheese is right up there. So cheese paladin is very, very good. Regarding build, it's actually different, very different from our last report. In the last report, we were saying the meta is headed in a direction where Bear of Broom is going to be important. And now it's kind of headed in the opposite direction where Bear of Broom is not important. The reason is aggro rogue. You know, the, a bigger reason is this new build of Aggro Rogue uh, that pretty much requires the Cheese Paladin to run Armor Vendors. Um, otherwise, you often get just completely demolished uh, by the relentless uh, damage potential of that deck. Um, you know, it's just a solid one drop, so it should be in the deck. And also, since the other spectrum of the meta is also strengthening, which is the defensive decks with removal, then you kind of want more threats. And more threat means you want to run Carousel Griffin. And Carousel Griffin, while it's still not an amazing card in the deck, we've noticed that it's gotten better over the last week or so. Um, again, because the Cheese Paladin, uh, when it runs into heavy removal decks, it just wants more and more threats. And having uh, when you run a Griffin, right, Carousel Griffin, essentially you add two cards in your deck, not one, because you also get it back from Yasharaj. So it's a pretty significant boost to your late game potential. Uh, so Bear of Broom, don't worry about it. A lot of people ask, uh, you know, what about the Mirror? Bear of Broom is one of the only ways you you get out of the Mirror situation where Luron 4, let me tell you this. If you play a Paladin Mirror, a Cheese Paladin Mirror, and you try to keep Bear of Broom in your opening hand so that you can answer the potential Allura coin or Allura spell from your opponent, that's not a good move, right? Because the way to win the Cheese Paladin Mirror is, first of all, to be the one that cheeses first. Uh, it's not about being reactive. So, yeah. Bear of Broom is not, like, it's not the way to win the mirror most of the time, even though theoretically you can consider it to be a good mirror card, right? It was mostly Barrow Broom. The reason why Barrow Broom was important is for Druids more than the mirror. Um, but Druid seems to be kind of dropping off a little bit, at least headed in the direction where it's not going to be as powerful as it was two weeks ago. 
So that's what I have to say about uh, cheese paladin. But of course, there is also Libum paladin. Libum paladin is just as good as cheese paladin in high levels of play, pretty much. But with Libum paladin, there's also a big difference in the performance of different variants, which kind of tells me that Libum paladin can be even better than it looks uh, statistically. And the difference is there are builds that run like loot hoarders and rally, and then there are builds that run crab riders. The build that we have in the port is the Crab Rider build. This is the build you want to put on ladder. Uh, now, many will, you know, will be skeptic and say, oh, this one doesn't run Libum of Judgment. But Libum of Judgment is not a good card in this deck unless you have ways to consistently corrupt it. And having only Libum of Hope as a way to corrupt it kind of makes it more of a win-more card. Because if you manage to play Libum of Hope with a Libum of Judgment in your hand, you pretty much already won the game. Uh, some people will say, oh, okay, I just want Libum of Judgment to be uncorrupted, just as like a, a Mega Arcanite Reaper that I can discount, right? Just to have damage potential and slow matchup. And that's fair, but I can tell you that without more Corruptors, the card just doesn't perform. So Crab Rider is both a strong removal tool for this deck that's like it works like Gidra in Druid, right? You just buff it and it just removes things and stays as a threat. You can even play it early and it can be very impactful. Um like against aggressive decks. So it's a very good card in that deck and we can clearly see it. So that build is very, very good uh for Labum Paladin. Pure is not changing. Same build that we featured in the last report. Uh, but yeah, I really like Libum of Paladin right now's position, especially uh, with Mage uh, rising in popularity. Yeah, it's uh, I played against a Crab Rider on 2 the other day, and I was like, oh, this is Cheese Pal. And then they played uh, Hand of a Doll and know me for, for 6. And I said, oh, uh, that was a lot of damage. Yep, it's a yeah. very, very good card in that deck. Just perfect fit. Just kind of a good card on a lot of decks. Just It's like, yeah. you remember we talked about the podcast, I, I compared it to Vicious Scalehide. Yeah. When you have a Rush Minion that's cheap, has a scaling keyword, and can be really, really powerful with buffs, you gotta watch out for those kind of cards. And Crab Rider is exactly that. Yep. Except uh, if Vicious Scalehide had 4 health, it would have been even better. Yep. And Labruma's doing pretty well overall. Uh, and you know, I'm kind of appreciative that there's not as much cheese paladin on the ladder, but it's definitely underrepresented. Part of it may be the collection impact. Nobody wants to make Nazdormu right before rotation. Uh, nobody wants to make Tip the Scales right before rotation, but it it is it is a better deck than it gets credit for. It's also an expensive deck in general. You've got Yasharaz there Super and expensive. Zoth of the, yeah. the God of the Deep. So you've, it's quite a bit of a risk to craft it just before rotation if you're tight on dust. I think part of the reason why Evolve Shaman was so popular is was also because it was very accessible too. It was an extremely powerful deck, but it was also fairly cheap to craft. So you essentially didn't even need uh, any legendaries to even play it at a pretty high level. So yeah, the uh, Cheese Paladin, at least outside of Legend, is ridiculously strong maybe even stronger than evolve shaman was and at legend it's still extremely powerful so power level wise it's very comparable 
to evolve shaman but the accessibility the fact we're in the mid like we're in the middle of the expansion rather than closer to the beginning uh the flow of information is slower again the deck is awkward to craft at this time that's i think kind of saving the meta right now uh, it's still very popular cheese pal and still over 10 percent of the field like a, a diamond four to one which is like where people are the most uh, most stressed to play the best decks they can play in order to climb so that kind of tells you about the the power level of that deck, but it's not as prominent and popular as Evolve Shaman was, and which back then choked out the meta. But here we're kind of spared of that. So maybe there's a possibility that uh, you know Team Five they've shown the reluctance to nerf it. I suspect that the reason why they're reluctant to nerf it is because they don't want to nerf Allura. Probably because of reasons that we cannot see. Future cards, future archetypes they have planned for Paladin and Priest that would have Allura serve a, 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 an important yet not toxic role. And they maybe not don't want to nerf it right now. And that's fair. Maybe they want to wait this month out and say, okay, so this card so this deck is powerful, but it's not too popular. It's not ruining the experience. Uh, like not completely ruining the experience uh, on ladder right now, so we'll just leave it and let it rotate out uh, naturally. And I guess it's a fair argument. I mean, had if there's a deck that has sixty percent win rate, but it's like one percent of the field, is it actually a problem? Right? If there's a super powerful deck but no one plays it, do you need to nerf it? No. So here we have a case where a deck is moderately popular. Po very powerful, kind of toxic, but there's there's uh, there's also a, a big reason why maybe you don't want to nerf it right now. Yeah, um, I I expect them to nerf it. I still do. Really, yeah. you still think they'll nerf it? I'm starting to think that they won't nerf it. Nope it's it came out just in time for the last patch. Uh, I expect this to get nerfed in the patch that goes live after BlizzCon. Like, I, I assume there will be a patch the Tuesday after, and I expect a nudge to some card in this deck. Probably a lure to five. It doesn't have to be permanent. They can put it back to four if they really want to. Uh, but I, I expect some kind of change. They're not going to leave the standard meta as is for the rest of standard. Like it's, it's not going to happen for the next six weeks that we keep this same meta. Even though it's interesting, I don't think we're going to keep this for six weeks. And if you are making a change at all, you can't just look at this meta and say, no, we're not changing ramp out. So... If they're going to make a change, then I expect they change this, and I expect they will make a change. Okay. We'll see. Whatever happens, actually, I'm not going to be too disappointed either way. But because I think the the meta right now is actually pretty cool, and the fact that I get cheese... Like, it it, it definitely queuing into them is not fun. Uh, I don't enjoy, like, queuing into Cheese Palin and playing those matchups. But I'm not seeing enough of them to ruin my experience. You know what I mean? That's kind of the thing. So right now it's kind of tolerable. But uh, yeah, we'll see. If they if they do nerf it, then that would be great. If they even nerf Allura just for a month, for five mana, I'm fine with it. It's a, yeah, it's it's a good change. Yeah, the, they'll. I expect they will do something. I agree that it isn't urgent. It didn't need an emergency ban or or whatever. But there's no way you can look at this format and say we're leaving it for the next six weeks without changing anything. And if you make a change, you have to do something about Barnes on Four. Yeah, so. I, I actually, when I initially saw this deck rise, I thought that it needed to be emergency nerfed. I even said this in the podcast. I underestimated the 
the cost uh, of the deck. The cost of the deck and the like, the, so close to rotation, the whole having it be so awkward to craft, which is pretty much the main reason why it's not too popular right now. It's Maybe. popular, but not 20% of the field. Like, if this was a cheap deck to craft, it yeah. would be 20-25% of the meta right now, and we would be begging for it to be nerfed right now. And so, also, if the play pattern was a little bit more interesting, uh, the I don't get the vibe that a lot of people really love playing this deck. Yeah, so. but it, it, it's also, yeah, it's not very compelling to play. It's not super interesting to play. But I'm pretty sure that if it was cheaper to craft, it would be 20% of the meta. And you know what is cheaper to craft that is definitely still popular and still also powerful? Let's talk about Gibberling Druid. Yep. So we've split uh, Token Druid into Gibberling and Treant. Um, we were planning to do that once you know the archetypes diverged and became different enough from each other that we had uh, an easy way to mark them and reliably recognize them. I'm really happy we did that. Uh, it works really well. So Gibberling is the more popular variant. It's the faster variant. The reason why it's more successful on ladder, it's very good against Agro Rogue. It's good against Cheese Paladin as well. It's the supreme aggressive deck that just takes over the board in the early game and snowballs. Uh, but there is a cost to that, right? If you're lightning, like if you're lightning fast, and your curve is very low, you don't have the kind of card draw that Agro Rogue has. You can be ran out of resources quite quickly. So removal decks with AOE. Uh, like all your damage is board based, right? You don't have like the sinister strikes, the eviscerates, the weapon damage that can just get a, a, an opponent from thirty to zero without hitting him in the face with a minion once, right? You have to have minions on the board, so you're vulnerable to removal. And we're seeing Gibberling dominate outside of Legend. It's a it's a strong deck outside Legend for sure because the meta is faster there. But once you hit Legend, you reach the higher levels of play. You see more Highlander Priests. You see more Warriors. Very good removal classes. You see Lifesteal Demon Hunter also with Immolation Aura. Arcane Explosion. You see Arcane Explosion. Yes, you're starting to see Arcane Explosion as well. That card is um, so so impossible to play well, against well, as the Druid. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll talk about Mage later, but yeah, there's there's a lot of removal right now. Very efficient removal in some of the top meta decks, uh, including the one that's emerging right now. So Jibberling kind of falls off at higher levels of play. It's not a skill thing, it's a meta thing. It's strictly a meta thing. The meta at top legend is drastically different and far more hostile for this deck. The interesting thing is uh, the Treant variant, which is slower, is far worse at lower ranks. Far worse because it's bad against like Zoo, it's bad against like Aggro Rogue. It gets stunned by aggressive decks because it's slow to get off the ground. It's, it's an overgrowth deck, right? And overgrowth decks tend to fall behind early, and if they're if you're playing against a snowballing deck, including the Gibberling Druid, right, and that mirror Treant loses pretty hard, then you're gonna have a bad time. But once you get to the to the Highlander Priests and the Warriors, then building the deck slower and uh, having like Goru and and all that reload potential with aeroponics and stuff like that becomes more in, you're you're more incentivized to do that. The deck becomes even better than Gibberling Druid, though it's still not amazing. Uh, 
So Druid is kind of maybe trending down based on the recent meta developments. Uh, one thing that we suggest with the Gibberling variant is that, you know, if you're playing on ladder, you're climbing uh, uh, from like platinum, bronze, diamond area territory, right? Outside of legend. You want to play the, the max tempo deck, the max tempo list with pure tempo cards that help you get ahead on the board because you don't need to worry about warriors. You're not going to see a lot of them. You're not going to see a lot of priests when you're climbing ladder. However, if you're playing a top legend, you still want to play Gibberling Druid, you may want to start running the slower cards that we talked uh, in the last report that weren't very good in this deck naturally, like Solar Eclipse and Soul of the Force mostly, because they help you kind of, they give you reach. The Solar Eclipse allows you to savage or an opponent and finish it off even if it leaves up a few, like just a couple, three minions on the board, uh, it can win games that you would otherwise not be able to win in slower de- against slower decks. And Soul of the Forest kind of gives you that sticky board in order to be able to even Savage Roar, right? Because it makes the Lifesteal Demon Hunter, makes it harder for him to clear your, your board, makes it harder for him to avoid your Savage Roar lethal. So that's what we suggest. But again, if you're playing a top legend, I just generally don't recommend running this deck at all because it's just worse than other other decks. Like Aggro Rogue right now, the Pound Flinger de- build, if you want to play an Aggro deck at high levels of play right now, you want to play Aggro Rogue. And the reason is because that deck can go to, from 30 to 0, right? Without any minions on the board. It's just, it's very removal resilient. It doesn't need to have threats sticking on the board at all in order to win games. And that's very important where you're running into Priest, Druid, Lifesteal, Demon Hunter. Mage. Yep. Which we haven't talked about yet, but I'm sure a lot of people listening to this I'm show saving know about it. I'm saving it. Yes. But yeah, basically, removal is at a is supreme right now at high levels of play. Decks are insane at just clearing boards. So you wanna if you're an acro deck, you wanna be able to hit a lot of damage over the top. Rogue does that well. Druid, not at all. Yeah, not so much. Um and I promised him I would say something about it. So Blastoise, your Highlander Druid is bait, but congratulations on hitting top 10 legend again. Actually had, actually had, let's wait on that. Oh no. Let's wait on that. You just said Highlander Druid. We haven't had the data for Highlander Druid in this report. I cannot officially talk about Highlander Druid, but I'm going to say one thing. Let's wait another week until we judge uh, Highlander Druid again, because maybe, maybe... There's actually something there. Maybe. But again, I'm not making promises. I'm just saying I'm seeing something different from what I've seen from Highland Druid pre-Minicet. I don't know if the reason why this is occurring is because there's a source bias. Like, right now, the people who are playing Highland Druid are mostly people who are, you know, very... It's literally uh, just Blastoise. It's just Blastoise. Like... Like maybe Blastoise and McBanterface and no Banner is not playing. Players. He thinks the deck is bait too. No, he I I I saw him hit top ten legend just like like maybe a couple of days ago with it. Yeah, he was calling it bait the whole time. Oh, okay, okay, but yeah, but like it could be source bias. It could be that the population of players right now that are running Highlander Droid are the ones that you know on average are stronger than their field which can inflate an archetype win rate, especially if it has a really low play rate. But I'm saying right now, I'm getting the vibes that it's it could be more than bait. It could be. Let's wait another week. 
Don't call it bait right now. We might look stupid next week. I'm more excited for this news than I am for BlizzCon. I really want to know the future of Highlander of Highlander Druid. Oh, I yeah. I want to know. <laughs> of course. So, people out there with legend points to farm, play play Highlander Druid so we have data. Go ahead. So we have data and we can confirm that it's actually bait next week. Yes. All right. Warrior. We were talking about it. And Rage Warrior seems to be the most popular warrior at Legend. There still seems to be like a constellation of warrior decks, but I don't see as many of them these days outside of Enrage. No, because Enrage is a supreme anti-aggro deck. Yeah. It's so good against aggressive decks. If you're running into aggressive meta, you want to play Enrage Warrior. Now, the irony is Enrage Warrior is a very difficult deck to play. Um, so players outside of Legend don't really play it. Right? They don't actually... The deck is not popular, but it's super popular at like top Legend. That's pretty much where it's been sitting. Um, this has been happening for multiple expansions now, where this deck is just super powerful and super popular at top Legend. Um, and, you know, not super... Not, not very common outside of... It's the patron warrior of this era. It's the real patron warrior of this era, Hat. Uh, also, it performs better at high levels of play. We we can see it in multiple matchups. So, in Rage Wars, it's very good. Now, again, things are changing. Last report, we said one thing, and now we have to revise it and say another thing. So, what's happening right now is Agro Rogue is growing pop in popularity and power because of the new Penflinger build, and that makes people want to run Ooze. So, we've seen an increase in weapon tech over the last week or so. And that causes Nitro Boost Poison to get worse in Warrior. Because when you can't stick a weapon, then buffing it is worse. And that weapon deck hurts Warrior more than Rogue. Because with Rogue, you can still dagger up and play Nitro Boost Poison. yeah. But with Warrior, if you don't have a weapon, you just can't use the card. So we've noticed that the card that initially looked pretty good is kind of getting worse. And you're better off just playing the classic build of Enrage Warrior. With the Shield of Honor, Double Shield of Honor, and, uh, you know, Scythe, and uh, Bomb Wrangler, and all the old goodies, right? So, that build seems to be performed really well. I think No Hands Gamer hit Top Legend recently with it. I think maybe he hit number one with it, even. Uh, I don't I don't exactly remember, but... No Hands Gamer and Rank 1 Legend within Rage Warrior name a more iconic duo. Yeah. Yep. So, deck is really good. Very powerful, possibly the best deck at top legend right now. You can definitely argue with that. I'm not going to disagree. Control Warrior is also pretty decent. The thing is, I think it's been overshadowed by Enrage Warrior because even in the aggressive matchups, Enrage Warrior does it better. So there's kind of a, there's a difficulty in finding a role for Control Warrior. You do have the option. You can either run the ETC combo or the Silence OTK combo. Both are fine, both are good, both are worse than Enrage Warrior. That's the main issue that I think keeps it keeps them uh, from gaining traction. Bomb Warrior, honestly, had, this deck would be so broken if Agro Rogue wasn't a dominant uh, force in the meta. Like, I tried to simulate what would happen if Agro Rogue declined. And it's what a Bomb Warrior meta. Bomb Warrior? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So like, pretty much nice that. Idiot. So we, Enjoy your bomb. Yeah, so... Very, very good. Uh, actually, that matchup is not good for the Bomb Warrior, but never mind. I just like thinking about the idea of them playing Allura on 4 and coining out a bomb to their own face. <laughs> I just like thinking about yeah, that. Yeah. I don't even care if we lose most of the time, even after that play. I just like that idea. 
yeah, but the thing is, uh, like, if Agrarogue did not find this new build and gain traction, then Bomb Warrior would have probably become tier one at high levels of play because the meta there is slower. And slower meta makes Bomb Warrior really good. Um, the one thing, like, this matchup against Agrarogue, especially with this lightning fast build, is so miserable. That matchup is ridiculous. It's something like 75 25. I'm not even kidding. Like, Agro completely annihilates Bomb Warrior. It's it's just a disgusting matchup. If if you're the Bomb Warrior, you run into that deck, you're just going to die. So that matchup is pretty much keeping Bomb Warrior from being a dominant force in the meta. And uh, yeah, we're pretty thankful for that. So if you're... If you don't enjoy Agro Rogue and you're complaining about that deck, just think about what would happen if it disappeared. You'd see a lot more wrench calibers. Are you sure that's what you want to see? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much Warrior. Um, good class with a very good deck. Uh, one of the best decks in the game. Uh, versatile and cool. All right. Demon Hunter. Let's talk about Demon Hunter. We have a new card in Aggro DH this week, a card that's in uh, our two listed Demon Hunter decks, Illidari Studies in Aggro DH. Yeah, so this is why, you know, data analysis is important, because if you ask me as a Hearthstone player whether Illidari Studies would be good in Aggro DH, I would tell you, of course not, that's silly. This card is not even good in Soul DH, so why would it be good in Aggro DH? Right? Because it's a slow card. It's At least it feels like a slow card. You're discovering cards. A lot of them can be defensive cards. So an aggro deck running that card is a bit strange. And yet, this card is pretty good in aggro DH. We've seen the data flow. Uh, people are playing a new build. Uh, it's an enabler for initiate, I guess. It also makes your skull. Sometimes you play the turn earlier. Helps your reload. Uh, so the card actually works well in aggro dh and we have that new build that also runs altruist it's a pretty strong build aggro dh is serviceable very certainly good enough again suffers at high levels of play for the similar reason that dribbling suffers at high levels of play it runs just it just runs into more removal and it doesn't like to see that uh soul dh is also serviceable lifesteal dh is still where it's uh, been for the last uh, couple of weeks a deck that many consider to be the best deck in the game, and it's not even close, they say. It's the greatest deck ever, huh? I'm, the strongest okay. deck. Stop, stop. The stop. Best I'm going to stop you. I know, I know where you're going. And I'm going to clarify here. Lifesteal DH can win games of Hearthstone, and it is, it is not the worst deck in the meta. It is not unplayable, but its matchup spread and win rate are lower than you would expect given its play rate. It, it's... It's and and the thing is, no, the, 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 my point wasn't making jokes here. I'm saying that the reason, the, the perception of Lifesteal Demon Hunter being the best deck, right? Yes. Being the strongest deck, being super powerful, and, and people play it, especially at high levels of play, overplay it to the point where people just run, like, decks that suck and just beat it, right? Lucia Priest is a deck that literally came to be just to beat Lifesteal Demon Hunter. So Lifesteal Demon Hunter is highly targeted. Right, it's perceived to be more powerful than it actually is, and that just fixates its position. Right, it it reinforces its current situation where it just gets hard targeted by things, so its win rate can cannot 
come up, right? It cannot lift in its win rate because it gets targeted so hard. And it can't catch a break because it it pays off to target it. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, you don't target a deck because it's powerful. You target a deck if it's popular. If there's a powerful deck that has a 1% play rate, why would you target it? But if there's a trash deck that is 30% of the field, it's still worthwhile to target it. So Lifesteal DH is a good deck that's overplayed. And that overplay, that inflated play rate, causes players, other players, to run decks that target it or make car choices for the intention of targeting it. And that's why it's suffering in its win rate. And same goes in the tournament scene. Lots of people are running Lifesteal DH, so people are just permanently running Priest with Elusia. Like, it's literally in every lineup. So how do you expect to do well with it, or consistently well? Uh, you can't. The deck is not, it's not like it's infallible. Um, it's de- It can definitely be targeted. Its matchup spread is not that dominant. So it's sub-50 everywhere. Lower ladder, mid-tier ladder, high levels of ladder, tournament scene. You know, for some players, it's never going to be enough. The, the, the pool of players is never going to be good enough to fully capture the potential of this deck, right? They always say, oh, but what about the like, top 1,000 legend meta? It's, it's sub-50, but what about top 100? And what about top 10? And what about top 1, right? It's never going to be enough for some. But I will say, for the people listening to this podcast, for 99.9% of you, this data should be relevant. And it's probably relevant for 100% of the meta. But... At least 99.9% of the players, Lifesteal DH is not a great choice. That's it. And that's a fact. Well said. Yep. And I will just add to wind down the Demon Hunter section. Those players that are consistently in top 100, the outlier is not Lifesteal Demon Hunter. The outlier is the skill of those players. And really anything they decide to play is likely going to overperform. Yeah, I mean, if somebody, if somebody tells me, hey, look at Orange. He's dominating Lifesteal Demon Hunter in, the turn- in qualifying tournaments, right? He's dominating with that deck. And my response is, when have you seen Orange not dominate qualifiers ever? This guy has a 90% or 95% win rate or something like that in, 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 in games and qualifier tournaments for, for as long as I remember this guy. So it's, it's orange. Yeah. Like he can play whatever. It's like, not because of Ilganoth. It's, like, it's because of orange. It's not, trust me, orange is like not getting carried by a deck. Yeah. Also, as of an hour ago, congrats on qualifying orange. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Congrats. Yep. Uh, he got his fourth top eight with Highlander Priest and Lifesteal Demon Hunter with an ooze. Orange, we need to talk. We need to talk after this show. But congratulations. I'm saying, I'm saying this. Uh, it's very, very simple. I'm here to state what's happening in reality. Some players may disagree and say that this reality is not relevant to them. Fair enough. But you can't criticize the messenger i'm just here to delivering what's happening and this is what's happening speaking of what's happening let's talk about priest because priest is kind of happening and some of the developments that you talked about last week are coming to pass highlander priest looks pretty good right now highlander priest hat is the strongest it's ever been and i wouldn't be surprised if it actually hits tier one a top legend eventually like over the next uh, week or so um, it's looking very, very good. 
against the top legend field because you've got Alusia to counter the Lifesteal Demon Hunters. You've got a good matchup against Enraged Warrior, which again gets played more at uh, top legend. In the tournament scene, the deck is insane. Like, I think that in the tournaments in Conquest best of three right now, if you don't run a Highlander Priest, you're kind of gimping yourself. The deck is nuts against that field because everybody just brings Warrior and Lifesteal DH. Um, so just Priest just is just a staple. So, yeah, Highlander Priest is very good um, yeah. at, at high levels of play. At lower levels of play, you run into more like weird things like Control Warlock, which the deck hard loses to. But those kind of decks disappear at those levels, at top legend, and so you don't run into those weirdly bad matchups. So against the very best decks in the game, Highlander Priest is actually matched pretty well, uh, which kind of is the reason why that deck performs so differently between, uh, you know, top legend and, like, platinum. Now, I will say also, it's one of the decks that has a, a higher-than-average skill cap or a skill ceiling or whatever you want to carve it, call it. It's it's It's... Not a simple deck to play. It takes time to understand its intricities and its nuances. Um, but yeah, it's it's very good. It's very effective against uh, multiple strategies. Uh, good against Druid as well. Uh, so has it has game pretty much against everything that isn't like ticketist, right? <laughs> yes. It's you don't want to get ticketist, but I don't expect that to be a frequent occurrence at any spot yeah. on the ladder. Now, another deck that kind of grew in popularity is this Alusia Priest that Monsanto hit number one legend with uh, like a couple weeks ago. And this deck, its matchup spread is is really funny. Because when you look at its matchup spread, you actually say, oh, so this is why Monsanto hit number one legend with it, right? So it goes 80-20 against Lifesteal Demon Hunter, right? It beats Druid, it beats Enrage Warrior, and it wins Priest's Mirrors. So if you just run into those decks, Right. If you just run into the common tournament lineup, right? Highlander Priest, Lifesteal Demon Hunter, and Rage Warrior. It's a very common tournament lineup. If you just run into those decks, this deck is nuts. It's actually nuts. Yet. But the deck is also extremely polarizing. And much like it has an 80% win rate against Lifesteal Demon Hunter, it has a 30% win against Agarogue. It has a 25% win rate against Cheese Paladin. And it has other matchups that also feel like unwinnable. So the deck is extremely polarizing. And the question is, is there a portion in the meta where this deck is actually good? And I will say probably the only portion of the meta that was two weeks ago when Monsanto hit number one legend with it. But now that Agarogue is growing in power and probably going to grow in popularity and going to a build that is even better against the Lucia Priest because like the removal just doesn't help. You just get 30 to old from hand. Um it's just it's not gonna be good. And it's not good right now. Like everywhere on ladder, Lucia Priest is trashed here because if Agro Rogue if you see any amount of Agro Rogue and Cheese Paladin, you're gonna have a tough time. Also Libram Paladin is a tough matchup. So the deck Super polarizing has this unique matchup spread that's specifically good. Monsanto built it with the sole intention of beating these decks, and it works against them. The problem is that decks, kind of like Lucia Priest, that have these super polarized matchup spread, are super sensitive to meta changes. And if you don't run into exactly what you want to run into, it's gonna fall flat. 
the the world of super high legend which i know about through watching streams uh you know i'm not a top 10 kind of player but where you you just can constantly run into two three ducks two like or three you can people have a period of the same people yeah not not exactly it's not just two three decks you run into the same people all the time so whenever so if they choose to play a deck you see it three four times more than the normal right because there's there are less decisions because you have less players determining your meta and that causes these weird things that can cause a deck that has a top legend win rate of something like 45 percent just to be insane at a very specific meta at top legend where this guy can queue up into the same five six people so that's the reason why this deck uh emerged but for general out of play don't recommend it and finally there's another priest deck that i was hoping would just be gone forever but we're resurrecting I mean, resurrect again. priest yeah resurrect priest is kind of much like Lucia priest is just a it's a it's a product of the top legend meta uh resurrect priest is a product of the tournament meta so what happens in tournaments i talked about a popular lineup like enrage warrior lifesteal demon hunter Highlander Priest. So what some people did is they exchanged Highlander Priest for Resurrect Priest, and since you ban Priest anyway, then that's a good move. And the reason why it's a good move is because Resurrect Priest is a super hard counter to Enrage Warrior. You know, Highlander Priest beats Enrage Warrior, but Resurrect Priest destroys Enrage Warrior. And you still have the Elusia. You're still running a Elusia and Resurrect Priest just to nick uh, Lifesteal Demon Hunter's win um win condition so against that kind of field very narrow fear resurrect priest makes sense on letter the deck is still reasonably good even at top legend because there are a lot of enraged wares and a lot of lifesteal demon hunters the problem is that again once you hit a more diverse meta the deck kind of is not as good but it's serviceable um it's okay it's just really bad in priest mirrors because yeah, it it it's, it was initially brought to tournaments with the sole intention of banning priests. So if you run into a priest mirror, you're gonna have a more miserable time, more than normal, more than the normal misery you you are inflicted with in a priest mirror. So be warned. I can't wait for convincing infiltrator to rotate out. I just can't wait. It's not even uh, this deck isn't even that great. I just don't want to play against it anymore. I'm just done playing against it. Yeah, no, it's it's not great, and you're probably not gonna see much of it because it's. It's mostly a tournament deck. And it's really good in tournaments because, again, lots of players are running the same lineup. And when you have a very predictable field, those kind of decks can rise and become very effective. But somehow, an hour into this episode, six classes down, we come to the most interesting class of the week. Zach, are you ready to talk about Mask of Cthune? Yeah, so... Spell Damage Mage is an archetype that emerged just a few days ago. And when I initially saw, you know, the numbers on it, I, I tried to, you know, construct it uh, based on, you know, what it was looked to be weak in, right? So I kind of propagated that list initially in our supporters channel on Discord and talked about the list that I've built. And then, you know, people pressured me to tweet it out and whatever. Uh, and, and it's looking quite good. But, you know, the other builds are also very good. The point is, this archetype 
looks extremely promising based on its initial like considering it's very early in its refinement the fact that it's doing so well already is indicative of its potential it could possibly be a tier one deck maybe more likely it will end up being a, a strong tier two deck or something like that but it's very very good and it's a deck that has really surge because of the emergence of imprisoned phoenix that card is nuts in that deck it's a strong enabler for it and uh it's a really cool deck for me personally it's one of the most fun decks definitely the most fun deck i've played this expansion there's a lot of nuances to it especially the usage of imprisoned phoenix when do you play it what are you trying to set up with it there's there's far more to it than just keeping in the mulligan and play it blindly on turn two if you're doing that you're doing it wrong so it's a it's a card draw enabler and a burst damage enabler and it's a board clear enabler. It does so many things and it's because of that delay. There's a lot of nuance into how to utilize it best. But you know, I looked into it and one of the things that it was kind of this deck was weak to was a lot of life gain and removal. So I was thinking maybe we play Mask of Cthulhu. In Mask of Cthulhu, what it does is that it just punishes the passivity of removal decks. Like, if you're playing against a priest, right, they just sit around and, and kill your stuff. And, and they don't develop. Like, oftentimes, they're not developing. So, 7 mana for, like, 10, 11, 12 damage is a really good exchange. It's really good against, like, Lifesteal Demon Hunter because, again, they don't develop board. And, uh, you know, I know this is very anecdotal, but I've done with, again really well against warriors. I'm actually stomping warriors. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's a small sample size. But this deck is supposed to be bad against warriors, and some some somehow I'm really happy to see warriors. I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's something with this build in particular, uh, with the mask of Cthulhu. But yeah, so this deck is really cool. It's fun. It's interesting. Regarding the best build, we still don't know much about it. Uh, we will probably know more next week because, again, this is was just initial preliminary analysis. Uh, we're not saying that this build that we have in the report is the best build. It could be something else. But I do think that at least 26 cards are the right ones. And then we have the Mana Reservoir, which is... Uh, an idea that I had in enabling, because what I noticed is that the card draw is not super consistent. If you look at other builds, they're kind of forced to run Arcane Intellect. And the reason why players feel like they have to run AI is because the allies, the elemental allies in the cram sessions is not as reliable as it can be. And what Reservoir does is that it really pushes those the consistency of your draw engine. So you're, you don't need Arcane Intellect. And then you have this this big spell damage body like you know i've played this card so many times and we can already see like preliminary that this card belongs in the deck like it's fine in the deck it's not the best card it's not the second best card but the, the, the card is fine in this deck is that they, they hover this over this card when it gets played against them they don't know what the hell to do against it they just have no idea what to do like you, you play this against like an aggro like on turn four or five what do they do? Do they sink six damage in order to kill it? No, so it just gets ignored. Or like against Warrior. Unless you have a Warball Challenger, which is a good answer against it, they just look like slower Warrior decks. It just needs to permanent. it just permanently lives. So it just sticks to the board for like three turns. And that's huge, right? Like a spell damage mage, having a spell damage minion stick to the board reliably multiple turns is, is a huge deal. 
So the card, uh, initially I just bought it because, oh, it's an elemental. It's a spell damage. Enables both my draw engines and it's kind of sticky. I tried it and I just never regretted drawing it. Like I just reached a point where, oh, okay, I've got my reservoir here. Like this also had, I, I do want to say that my build, I don't know if it's the best build, but it's the highest, it has the highest skill cap. And you know oh, why that boy. is, Hat? Oh, no. Because Mana Reservoir has zero attack. And we all know from history that zero attack minions have a high skill cap. Do you remember Spirit of the Shark? That was a high skill cap card. And this is also kind of a Spirit of the Sharky with spell damage. High skill cap. Zero attack, high skill cap. Remember that. Oh, I didn't forget. You are turning yourself into a meme. It is an enjoyable but uh, hilarious journey. want to give a shout-out as well here to uh, Vicious Syndicate regular Bach for Life, who popularized the initial build of this deck and, and motivated the community to start experimenting with it. It's really nice to see that new stuff can arrive at this point in the meta, and this deck is really fun to play. Really fun to play. Very difficult to play. I'm not going to say high skill cap because that's a meme now, but I will say that no, it, it's, it's actually it's a difficult hard. deck to play. Yeah, it's actually hard. There's a lot of sequencing. Like you're playing against Druid. Druid is a very good matchup, but you got to plan on the Arcan Explosion. You got to you got to save spell damage enablers. You got to save your card draw for the right moment. There's a lot of management. It's not a simple deck to play. It's definitely uh, an intuitive. And many many aspects, and the fact that its curve is so low, like you got so many low cost cards, and like new players or like even uh, intermediate players really struggle with the mulligan concept. Like, how do you like? I struggle with it. I still don't know how to mulligan with this deck because you have so many cheap cards. Yet some of them you don't want to keep in your opening hand. Do you keep cram sessions conditionally? When do you keep elemental allies? But that's also conditional. A lot of the cards have conditional keeps. It's not like Agro Rogue where Spy Mistress is a keep. Always, in any matchup, doesn't matter. A lot of the cards here are conditional keeps, and when you have a deck with so many conditional keeps, it makes the mulligan very complicated. So my tip for players who want to run this deck, don't think about keeping cards. Think about your future first turns, whatever turn, what your opponent is going to do. Anticipate, try to anticipate what his plan is, and try to keep cards that line up well with your game plan in that matchup and line up well against his game plan as well. That's a tip that will help you against like Mulligan better with every deck, but especially decks with such complicated Mulligan phases where there are so many conditional draws. Try to think, learn by yourself, what do you want to do in this matchup now? And plan accordingly. Also, Ross, keep. Ross is a card, highest one of the highest cost cards, so people throw it very often. Don't throw it. It's almost always good on five with this deck because you're always going to draw an enabler for it. It's very, very powerful. So one of the unintuitive things that people don't do is keep Ross. So that's my tip. Yep. It's Turns out the flame strike that goes face on five is good. Who would have guessed? Yep. Yep. All right, got two and a half classes left. Uh, Warlock, it looks like Zoo is solid. It's fine. Zoo but... is solid, though it's getting worse, and it's going to get worse because of Agro Rogue. That's a tough matchup. Um, 
Zoo is one of those aggressive decks that actually does fine in the slower meta. The problem is if something races it hard, then it's a problem, especially since a lot of it, its build is about damaging itself. So just aggro rogue says, thank you, I'll just proceed and put you at zero. So by the time they, you know, they don't have time to get their flesh giants out. That's the main thing. That's what uh, pretty much uh, determines the power level of Zoo. If it if, if it's if there if it plays a matchup where it's comfortable uh, discounting its flesh giants relatively easily, then it does it can do well. But if it's pressured this hard, then it's it's a problem. So Zoo is a good deck. It definitely keeps Warlock competitive and playable. But the meta trends lately have been quite hostile to it. We've seen it pretty much tank in its win rate. Um, compared to the last report, I expect a further decline, but it's probably still going to stay in a competitive range. Other Warlock decks, not so lucky. Um, Control, Quest, um, Galakron, some of the worst decks in the game. You know, there are always questions after a report, but you know, I've played this deck and this build from uh, um, Uther Kibler and such. You know, this worked for me and this worked for me. No. Guys, we look at all the builds. When we see, when we look at an archetype, we look at all the builds. We just like we looked at Secret Rogue, and I told you that Secret Rogue there are multiple builds, and one of them is actually really good. And we pointed out it's really good. The deck is better than it looks statistically because that's one variant that's not very popular is outperforming the other ones. Here we don't really see it. All the Control Warlock builds kind of look trash. All the quest warlock builds that we see look trash. We're not looking at one build and saying, oh, this build sucks, so quest warlock sucks. No, we're trying to find any kind of build. Now, of course, in theory, there could be a build that's undiscovered and not played on ladder, might be the nuts. I don't know. But based on everything that we're seeing that gets played on ladder, slower warlock strategies just that cannot hang. You know? They cannot hang. Yeah, we, we look at clusters we don't look at deck lists and right now we cannot find a really compelling reason to play these slower warlock decks it's outside of if you're having fun with them go ahead and play them but if you're looking for a win rate justification there isn't one so yeah sorry yep. ticketus not a good idea right now um and finally the last class we have shunter uh and shunter is is a class it is both Shaman and Hunter, where the decks are the same and they're not bad, but they're not interesting, so people aren't playing them or talking about them. Yep, but they're fine. Like, So here's something I'm happy about because of publicly available data. Imagine there wasn't publicly available data. People would go to Team 5 and say, Team 5, you ruined Shaman and Hunter. They're unplayable. Nobody plays them. They trash, right? Because if you just anecdotally look at it, nobody, like I'm queuing on ladder. I never see those classes. So if I didn't have any publicly available data to look at, I would assume that they're trash, right? But they're not. They're actually fine. It's just that people choose not to play them, which is fair enough. But it's not like the developers, the designers themselves, they're at fault for these classes to not see play. Maybe they could look at, oh, we should have maybe um, found more compelling strategies uh to support for these classes and you know some of them with like hunter with the death rattle mechanics that were you know supported over the last year it didn't work out so the class was left stuck on its older archetypes but the class is still playable and it's still fine and the same thing goes for shaman 
These shaman decks are okay. They're not the best decks in the game, but it's not like they're tier 4. Most of them have even have positive win rates. And they're perfectly competitive and playable. And in fact, let me set, add something that wasn't in the report. Jombre just hit number one legend with Shaman. And it's a very Jombre-ish Shaman deck. It is atypical. Like, I don't know if this, this particular list is good, but it just shows that Shaman has the tools to compete. And you can have success with it. And maybe this success will cause more players to try it. But the fact of the matter is this. The popularity of decks is not a function of their power. It's a function of their exposure. If a lot of streamers play these cl- certain classes and certain decks, they're going to get more popular. Uh, it's n- really nothing to do with the power level. People want to be engaged. Um, a lot of them just follow whatever streamer whatever their favorite streamer is playing, and they just try to play what he played. They try to, there's some imitation here. So if a deck doesn't see exposure, like Secret Mage, which is a deck that's actually pretty good right now, very strong right now, yet doesn't see play, has a high win rate, yet, you know, no streamer is playing Secret Mage. No, There's no deck guides for Secret Mage. There's no, there's no exposure for Secret Mage. So I can put it in the power rankings, it can be shown as a tier one deck. But if nobody plays it, and nobody says, oh, it's it's good, I played this, and I hit whatever, then it's not going to see play. So Shaman and Hunter currently suffer from a perception issue. They're just maybe boring, maybe not. they're not compelling, but they're fine. Competitively, balance-wise, they're fine. I will, I'll challenge that a little bit. I do think that the Blizzard is mildly responsible for Hunter not seeing play, not because they made the class bad, but because they gave people an opportunity to dust their brand and Polkelt, and they haven't remade them. True. That could also be a reason. Uh, and you can also look into, again, what what have we been doing with Hunter over the last year in terms of expansions, where the two decks that still see some play are decks that were introduced in Savers of Doom and Descent of Dragons. Right, three expansions ago, so something went wrong with the power level and design of the hunter expansion sets over the last year. Something went wrong, sure, but and that is concerning for the future of hunter over the next year because these decks are going to rotate. Thankfully, they rotate. The question is, what's going to be left for hunter now? Right, because it's I think out of all the classes, it probably has the weakest. Uh, year of expansions uh, compared to anything else so it's not in a good standing going into the next rotational year but again we've got a new core set we'll see what happens but yeah there is a concern with hunter but if you want to jam some games hunter they're still fine if you've loved playing highlander hunter you can still play it but yeah the the dust could also be a part of it with brand yeah, and I wonder what Hunter is going to look like after Phase Talker rotates out. Like, that was so defining. And all the pieces for Death Rattle Hunter really haven't come together. So maybe there's something in the core set that makes more sense. Like, maybe they bring back Fane Death or Terra Scale Stalker or something. Or maybe they just give us a new archetype to play with. Um, but uh, I kind of want a new archetype, Pat. Yeah. You know what I want from Hunter? You know what I wish from Hunter? Uh, like, I'm not a Hunter player. Hunter is one of my least played classes. Uh, like... Like, I don't even have 500 wins with Hunter, honestly. Like, it's the class that I play the very, very least, 
But there was one deck that I really enjoyed, which was Spell Hunter. And, you know, the Pew Pew Hunter that played very differently to the board-based hunters, where you just play it on something on turn one and play something on turn two and hit face and, and going on. It feels like Hunter has been the same class it's been, like for years now. And, but oh, every once in a while, something different emerges, like Cube Hunter and Spell Hunter. So I just want like something that has nothing to do with secrets and just playing. Like, give us something cool, different. I know it's hard because I think part of the reason why it's hard is because Hunter doesn't have a card draw. doesn't have a good card draw, so it's hard to build a combo deck of Hunter, right? It, it, Hunter is kind of a rigid class that can, it feels like it can only play aggro or mid-range, which mid-range is basically a aggro with a higher curve, and that's it. Like, there's nothing else that supports other kind of strategies in the meta spectrum, and I feel like it would be really good for the game if Hunter could also tap into other mega archetypes, right? Other things. If we could play Control Hunter, this might sound like fantasy right now, but everything is possible in the card game. It's all about whether you can give it support. Because um, it definitely feels like it's just stuck into playing something very, like the same thing over and over, just with different cards. And I kind of wish... We saw other archetypes of, of Hunter, just like we see other. We see Agro Rogue, we see Control, uh, uh, we see uh, uh, Agro-based Rogue decks and combo-based Rogue decks, and we see aggressive warriors and slower warriors and very defensive warriors. So we see, and, and Druids the same. We've seen it for all the classes, and it just feels like Hunter is always aggro or mid-range, and maybe we need to think about why that is. One-dimensional hero power, possibly. Um, uh, a a core set, a classic set that doesn't really support other things. No card draw. So we'll see what happens again with the core set and whether it's able to support other kinds of hunter decks. But I really wish that hunter was more than just this turn one, turn two, turn three, turn four, hit face, hero power, and game. And it was in the past, and they've been able to do it. So I'm hoping they do it again. Uh, yep. You know, that's I I definitely agree that I enjoyed Spell Hunter a lot. It felt different, it felt interesting. And there was a period there for a couple of years where they were able to do that. It seems like more recently with the you know, phase docker and the toxic reinforcements, that's a pretty clear direction for the class to go. And Highlander Hunter has kind of overshadowed any other direction you can take the class. So I am hopeful and excited for what they do with Hunter, because it has a lot of opportunity. Uh, but also they have to, you know. They have to figure it out, and they have to give it the support, and they have to make sure it's good, but not too good. Now, with that being said, there are a lot of hints coming up for the core set that Dire Frenzy might be coming back. And Dire Frenzy is a cool and interesting card, so wondering what we get out of that. If that's true. If that comes true. I can see that, because Ixar loves that card. Yep. <laughs> and when Darok tweeted about it, he got an eyes emoji in response from Kibler, who's doing the reveal video, so I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, like I, I really, I think the most important thing for the future of Hunter, over the, at least for the next year, is to see some card draw for the class. Yeah, something like Master's Call. Yeah, so uh, maybe not as powerful, but something that gives Hunter the ability to play uh, less linearly, uh, to let to be less about 
uh, curving out and uh, controlling early board and snowballing it with the hero power. It feels like so many hunter decks are just like that. And we're not seeing others partly because there's just no card draw. So you're just very limited in what you can do. And Phase Stalker was an important piece of that. That was functional card draw. And, and the card is strong for a lot of reasons. It's not really card draw because, yeah, because if you want to play a late game strategy, you need to be able to have some card draw. If you don't, you're very limited and you're probably not good. We've seen what happens to Control Shaman when it doesn't have card draw. And the same thing here. It's not. It's no different. So if I'm really hoping to see some card draw, it feels like Starving Buzzard just spooked them like years ago from giving card draw to Hunter ever. And it kind of like... Well, they did Master's like the Call, right? Like and, Master's Call was really good. Yeah. And also Master's Call, even like Midrange Hunter back in Rastakhan was not exactly mid-range. It was like almost combo-ish in nature. It played a little bit differently. So I'd, I'd really like to see some card drawing the core set of Hunter. Same for Shaman. Same for Priest. Um, we'll see. Notice, notice uh, they have something in common. Yes. Maybe even Paladin. Yep. I'd like some, some Paladin card draw, and I'd like it to not cost four, please. Every, too many things cost four. Yep. But we'll see. A lot of the speculation is going to be based around, hey, what do we do? What are we, what are we going to see in the core set? We don't know until next week, so uh, we'll find out. Same time that you do. But until then, that's going to do it for our show this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everyone that supports the show through Vicious Syndicate Gold and Patreon. Next report will be out as usual on Thursday the 18th. Next podcast will be out as usual on Saturday the 20th, and it will not have BlizzCon Online info because we're recording it before that. Uh, so it will be your usual meta review, but we're looking forward to hearing about all the cool information just as much as you are. Any final thoughts, Zach? Really looking forward to seeing what the course it is. I'm not going to be able to talk about it next week but maybe in the next podcast after that uh, we'll do a dive into the core set and try to evaluate it and see what kind of foundations it lays for the next year i'm really really intrigued in seeing what goes in and what goes out that's also very important yeah it's going to be a pretty major paradigm shift so we're excited we're looking forward to it in the meantime ladder's still interesting and cool play some burn mage and uh, we'll talk to you next week. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers. Mana Reservoir is the highest kill cap card, huh? That's, that's, I know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah.